swing and a line drive left field. Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be listening from. Welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. We are available on just every platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries and we are happy to have you with us for this episode. We will be covering... A lot of what's going on right now, uh, you know, as we start uh, spring training 2.0, summer camp, whatever you want to call it, uh, everything from the virus to the pitching staff to uh, some of our expectations uh, going forward. Tonight, uh, joining me, you know, from the, the regular cast, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Great to hear and see you as always. Yeah, absolutely. We know we're uh, that much closer to, uh, you know, opening day, barring Armageddon. So, uh, like I said, we'll definitely be getting uh, into it. Also joining us tonight is Moses Menendez from the Fenway Faithfuls podcast. We're actually doing a split show tonight, so their audience is hearing us right now, and uh, you know this show will will be hearing him. So two shows going on at once. Never done it before. Why not, Moses? How are you? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on Fenway Faithful podcast. I appreciate you guys doing this. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is the first time for everybody, so it's going to be a blast. Absolutely. So diving right into it, we may as well start with the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, the virus is kind of picking up steam. I noticed they're talking a lot about an uptick in cases. What you don't see a lot in the media compared to two, three months ago is is a rising death toll. That's just not happening right now. So maybe maybe that's the good news in all of this. But there is you know an uptick of cases. Charlie, starting with you, what are your thoughts on the uh, you know developments surrounding the virus? You know since we last recorded. Um, well, there are a couple of players that have, have opted out of their um, 2020 season. Uh, I know that uh, Zimmerman was one. Uh, I do believe the most recent one to be vocal about it for more than one reason was uh, Ian Desmond from the Rockies. I believe he opted out of his contract to spend time with his family. Um, I feel like it's going to happen more and more. But the thing is, it's not the superstar players of the teams that are doing it. So, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. It was inevitable. There are going to be some people that say, you know what? I'd rather sit at home and, you know, I'll forego $4 million or $3 million or whatever the prorated salary was going to be. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, that's just 
one less person that people have to be worried about, that person doesn't have to worry at all either. They're going to be sitting with their wife, their kids, enjoying themselves, and that's fine too. You guys have made more than enough money to survive. You guys are good. That's cool. It is what it is. Yeah, and you know, luckily it is, you know, a bunch of older guys, you know, I I hate to be brutal about this, but it's been a bunch of washed up 30 somethings that, you know, their careers Yeah. Their careers are pretty much over. You got Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond, like you mentioned, Charlie, Mike Leak, uh, Tyson Ross, and his younger brother, who I'm less familiar with, obviously, uh, have opted out. I know, I got a younger brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Who, who is? Was he the bad brother? Oh, yeah. Ty, Ty, yeah. No, no, no. Ty, uh, Tyson Ross's little brother is Joe Ross. He was a pitcher for the Nationals. He's actually in his upper 20s, and he was actually one of the surprise players to um to actually declare yeah i'm just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play tyson ross was good for like one year in san diego ian desmond's like 35 or something i don't know yeah, he's pushing he's, it he's pushing it too but um it, it's again it's not the superstar player of these teams that are saying you know what no it's not worth it there are other players that are, you know, Ian Desmond, not the star player of, of the Rockies by a long shot. Is he a good player on the team? Yes. Is he the star? He's not Nolan Arenado, and he doesn't come close to that. He, he couldn't nope. carry his jock. No way. But uh, Ian Desmond also uh, is speaking on behalf of more than one cause. So he's, he's trying to make his voice known for that reason as well. That's fine. Uh, am, am I going to be sad because Ian Desmond doesn't play this year? No. Am I going to miss Joe Ross or Tyson Ross this year? No. Am I going to miss... Mike Leak for not playing this year? No. Like, no. If 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 Mike Trout said, yeah, you know what, 2020, I'm just not going to do it, I'd be like, oh, shoot. Then it's a real fail. Then it's a fail. Then it's a real, then it's a real thing. If Ross's little brother, I mean, if, that boy, I don't know who that guy is. Desmond was in <laughs> line for a $100 million contract next season, you know, if he was a couple years younger, would he be opting out? <laughs> I it sounds like a stretch. Probably to me. not. No, no. Same same with Ryan Zimmerman. If he was five years younger, he'd be playing. Right. Yeah, right. Ian Desmond. I think he was in the middle of like a five-year, eighty million dollar deal. Something like it was. It was something where he got um, what like ten million or something like that. But prorated, he was only going to make a fraction of that because they're doing prorated salaries and whatnot. So no, I don't think a player that was going to be getting thirty million would have opted out. There's just no way. Absolutely. What are your thoughts more in depth, Moses? The COVID thing's been crazy, but we should have had baseball back about a month ago. And I think Manfred really dropped the ball on this whole deal. You know, we should be having opening day on 4th of July. Spring training should have started on Memorial Day. There's nothing more American than that. Having baseball start on one American date and start on America's birthday. I mean, it was he had he had the, the easiest route to save baseball and make it something they didn't uh obviously COVID's real and the numbers are kind of dying down in some areas but all in all he he fucked up big time with these deals it's it's it is what it is right guys are opting out you know guys are gonna opt out and, and like charlie said it's the guys you don't really know their names as they're bat boys like up till five minutes i know ross had a little brother so it's <laughs> it, <laughs> It comes down to, I hate to say it, but it is what it is. But now the boys are back. They started reporting yesterday. Some of them showed up today. Let's get down to baseball. Let's get into this shit. You know, we got a sissy game season. 
let's make the best of it. Hopefully the playoff format is reasonable. And we see the Red Sox win number 10. Yeah, I mean, the surprising thing to me in the last 48 hours especially is a lot of local beat writers as well as big national uh, beat writers as well, just Ken Rosenthal today even, throwing cold water on the chances of of this season actually getting off the ground and getting into motion, you know, because of the challenges of the virus. But I'm just looking, I don't think it's that bad, especially now, because like I said, the death toll just isn't there. A lot of it is younger people that are asymptomatic, and I think a lot of baseball players are going to fall into that. Um, There's also no known, uh, you know, serious cases right now of, you know, COVID-19 among MLB players. You know, they've all been fairly mild that we know about. And I just think it's super critical to get this season going and get the trial and error stuff out of the way. That way, when 2021 comes around, we know how to handle it. And if there's universal enthusiasm amongst executives, players, and fans all across the board, let there be baseball. So I just, I hate the cold water getting thrown on it. Yeah, I don't understand that neither. It's just, you know, we have a positive going. Stay with it. The country needs a positive to keep moving forward. You know, basketball put out their dates. Hockey put out their dates. Baseball has a date. Just keep going in the positives. And that's the biggest problem. That's why I think it took so long for this deal to come about. They're dwelling on the negativities of everything. The numbers are going down in depth. The cases are going down. They should look ahead at 2021, but we still have 2020 to focus. I, uh, you did bring up something earlier, though, like baseball could have started on America's birthday. The thing with Manfred, though, is he's been so hot and cold. He's like a walking knuckleball. You don't know which direction he's going to go in. Like, I remember he mentioned um, four or five weeks ago, he mentioned that uh, maybe it was less. I'm not sure. But he said that there was there was already a deal and there was no deal at all. There was nothing. And it, it took the MLBPA to come out and say, you know what, this that, that's actually not even true. Like, this is, like, 45 talking right now. This is actually complete fake news. Not real. Yeah. And yeah. so th- that was an opportunity for everyone to, okay, cool, this is actually happening. When that happened, it was a slap in the face to baseball as a whole. Because when that happened, I sat there like, um, who's pulling the strings? Like, who's making the calls? Why are you saying, are you trying to like save face at this point? Because I have no idea why you're lying to us. Like we're now, like Terry, I remember last week you're like, please just like, I just want to see a couple pitches, like a couple games of baseball, (laughs) bring baseball back. Like we want to see it back, but we want to see it done the right way. If you really didn't have anything going, which you didn't be transparent because people were going to be more upset finding out that you said, oh yeah, we're good. And and then there's nothing. It's that situation was handled so poorly. Manfred continues to lose support across the country because yeah. he can't get it done. We call him Manfred on our show. He's just a fraud. He, he's just he's just garbage. Like, I he's like just a that. Big fraud. And and you know all he did was lie throughout the whole thing. And it was like you said when that came out with the fake news as a fan, not as a Red Sox fan, but a baseball fan in general, it just pissed me off. Like that's just a slap in the face. Yeah. It's an insult, you know? And I think him lying slowed this down big time. He took the size of the owners. They, they didn't want to pay. 
and they didn't want to play. And he didn't want a season, I believe, deep down. I don't think Manfraud wanted a season. Manfraud, I love it. I don't know. I mean, I just think he was bowing to the owners too much. I, I saw him have some comments, uh, I think, on a New York radio show where he said that they were never going to agree to more than 60 games. Like, that was never in play from the get-go. But I just think from a survival perspective, there has to be baseball this year. And I think Manfred does know that because if you look at some of the minor leagues, I listened to Buster only yesterday and apparently a lot of those teams are going to need government bailouts next year to, to keep things afloat. So I just think no baseball could be extremely detrimental to the, the short term future of the game, at least. Well, I don't want to go off a deep end. But Manfraud was trying to cut out 60 minor league affiliates this year. And then this hit. And now there's no minor league baseball. And I this goes back to him dragging his feet on this. I believe deep down that he dragged his feet so there'd be no minor league baseball. So when those teams, if they don't get a, a government bailout, they're gone. Minor league baseball we cut in half. And that's not fair to the, the local fans. You know, like I'm from New Jersey and we have – 12 affiliate teams in the area. I didn't drive to any team. Phillies, Red Sox, uh, even the Mets. A few other, uh, the Bisons for, for the Blue Jays. I didn't drive all around and get it. And he wants to cut these teams out. So he wants to cut minor league baseball out already. I don't understand why he's, he wants to get rid of minor league baseball. So I, I don't agree with, with anything going on in the minors right now. There should be one minor league team per system. So there's still games being played in the system. I agree. I agree. And I just wonder with some of these Red Sox prospects, you know, Tanner Houck, Brian Mata, those guys are pitchers. Then you've got Tristan Casas and, uh, you know, one or two other decent hitting prospects that just aren't going to get their reps this year. And how far is that going to set them back? I mean, if you were hoping... Yeah. And, you know, if you were hoping to get them next May or June... You know, I don't I don't know if that timeline's realistic at this point. And even if you're a pitcher, you know, like Matt Moore when he was in the Rays, and this goes back to I think twenty thirteen, he made three starts and then he pitched in the playoffs for him. There's nobody doing that this year. If you get a guy who goes down in September and you're playing in October, who are you going for for the backup? Everybody's home on the couch. Right. You don't have a forty man roster, you don't have anybody coming to help you anymore. So it's going to be – it's almost like this season is the best team's not going to win. There's going to be a team that survives going to win. That could be. Yeah. That's a great observation. I, you know, and I don't know. I just – we'll get into it with the Red Sox rotation here uh, in just a minute. Just one quick kind of – I thought it was funny, you know, and uh, this is like the most Cushman thing ever. Yesterday I was listening to Sean Doolittle express like – intense concern that this season wouldn't start he's a late inning reliever for the nationals and yeah and so he had a lot of concerns and i saw the video because buster only tweeted it and i co- retweeted it excuse me and i commented below i said he looks too scared to even record a strikeout and then somebody responds to me with a question mark and i said I said, well, you know, his head's not going to be in the game. You know, I'm talking about Doolittle still. And she goes, it's a female that's interacting with me. And he go, she goes, 
and you felt the need to tell his wife this because why? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's his wife. And I was typing out a half-ass apology and kind of what my rationale was. I felt, you know, a little stupid. And uh, before I could even send the tweet, she uh, she blocked me. Um, so mo- most <laughs> Cushman thing. We about that, how they're soft, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't know I was mouthing off to the guy's wife. But my observations are still, you know, what they were <laughs> before her, I realized her that. Her blocking must be huge. That's her husband. Yeah. He blew like 20 saves last year. He almost blew the playoffs for him. So her block list is probably 100. So I'm going to lose any sleep about it. Yeah. Luckily, their uh, starting rotation was just so good that, you know, uh, it, it all set their bullpen. I mean, Scherzer was hurt, you know, most of September. And I thought, wow. You know, and he really turned it up. He wasn't good in the um, in the wild card game against the Brewers. But after that, he was he was phenomenal. Oh, and another uh, yeah. thing, speaking of Scherzer, apparently there was some secret Sandlot camp going around. I saw that from The Athletic today. Scherzer, Verlander, Giancarlo Stanton were among many superstar players at this little Sandlot camp, this private little you know, camp they were holding down uh, somewhere in Florida. And uh, so <laughs> some of these guys are going to be ready to go right away. Yeah, well, I know Trevor Bauer does a thing on YouTube, live pitchings. So he's in the middle of the desert and he's pitching to like hitters. He's been on it. A few of guys from the Reds have been on it. Uh, Eric Gongay pitched on it last week. Interesting stuff. You have time to go on YouTube. So he'll, he'll be looking good this year. Bowers. That's a, that's a person I don't miss, Eric Gagne. You know, oh. Trevor Bauer, he's actually in, he's involved in a couple of Twitter feuds, one of which is with Kurt Schilling. It's actually quite epic. If you have some time, that's worth a watch. That's worth a read, too. Well, I didn't know that. I'd have to look. I'd have to check that out. Oh, you got to check that one out. Schilling blocked me too. He was another guy. I got tagged into this little argument, and uh, I was arguing with Kurt Schilling, not knowing he was Kurt Schilling, because his his Twitter handle is at Garrig thirty eight. So how the hell am I supposed to know that's Kurt Schilling? You know, and right. And And uh, I had to look Schilling up for some reason. Uh, and I couldn't find him, and then I realized that I was blocked. So, must have been from whatever that was. But my list is getting uh, longer, and I don't seek these guys out too. So that's that's the funny thing. That is funny. Yeah, but but anyway, so uh, getting into some Red Sox uh, related stuff here. Um, Ron Renicky said a day or two ago that. Nathan Avoldi would be ready to start next week if the season, you know, were coming up that quick. So um, I guess that's kind of encouraging to hear. Well, he was lights out in spring training. He was just unhittable, and I was excited to see him pitch. It was a nice change from what we saw in the past. I mean, that's for darn sure. Um, it, it'll be great to see him right the ship because last year was such a disaster. Um, outside of, I feel like that one game he pitched, I think it was against the Yankees. He went six innings, allowed one hit, like just not there. Just how in the world, Dave Dombrowski, did you give this man a four year, 60 plus million dollar deal? What were you thinking? They should have made so, him sit out after that elbow surgery last year. Uh, that was just, it was, it was brutal. Like after the world series, that's not the time to start delving out major contracts. You just don't do that. That was just stupid. 
And we well, all got that deal was like you, you ditch out the money, but you don't do a physical. And then he throws three pitches and spring trades up my elbow. Needed, needed a scoped out. Huh? Yeah. Did... Yeah. Yeah. Not a good look. I mean, see, if this was a 162 game season, you know, he would be a fourth or fifth starter. I would expect him to go on the DL at some point. I have serious concerns as to whether or not that arm will hold up for more than 100, 120 innings. He's had two Tommy John surgeries on it, two separate surgeries aside from that for loose bodies in his elbow, which, you know, one of which was last year, like you said. So, I mean, if we're looking at 162, I'd be an extreme pessimist about Evaldi. You know, 60 games, the innings count will be down. Um, In a short sample size, anybody can get hot. I mean, Wade Miley, like I said last week, could win the Cy Young this year, you know, if they still have that stuff on a short sample size. So, you know, it's just one of those situations where you just got to hope for the best, you know. I think it's tailor-made for him, honestly. Yeah, hopefully. You got any thoughts, Charlie? No, I mean, you bring up some some great points. Um, here's the thing about Nathan Avaldi: We have a 60-game season. If he ends up getting injured and gets wrecked in this 60-game abridged season, I have no faith that he will last the next two years. None whatsoever. If he can survive this, he will maybe meet my expectations. But if he gets injured, all bets are off in 2021 and 2022. It will look as it will look like potentially Dave Dombrowski's second worst sign. I, I agree with that. In the Red Sox, I'd say that he bombs this year. He'll be in the bullpen the next few years. Well, that's what I would expect well, that- if it was 162, because they had to put him there last year, and then sale went down. And they had to bring him back to the rotation, but they just didn't know what the hell to do with him last year. He was so bad for the most part. And last year when he came back, it was kind of like they wanted him to work in. That's all it was. And they just sort of sat him out, honestly. They wanted him to just work in, but you know, the pitcher needs confidence. I and mean, he goes out there and he gets shelled time after time after time. It ain't gonna help the guy. Yeah, so it'll just be interesting to – well, they're not going to get to face a lot of uh, live batters because I think they're only looking at a few uh, exhibition games right before the season starts. So it's going to be mostly workouts over these next few weeks. But, uh, you know, he's essentially, I think, our number two. I I don't know how Martin Perez fits in. He is a bona fide starter, so I, I think that's how he'll be handled. Um, but it, Perez is I'm usually pretty, worse I'm than Porcello. Sure. Yeah, I think the way it's going to look, you have Erod one, which is insane to think because last year Erod was your four. I think last year it was Sale, Price, uh, Ivaldi, Erod, and then fifth was Porcello. <laughs> was oh, that's right, Porcello. I forgot about him. That nightmare. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. And and now you have Erod jumping into the pole position. Nate Evaldi is your two option. Your three option is Martin Perez, who is somebody's number five or six on another team. Like on a crappy team, he's a five or a six. We're seeing a – well, he was a five on a hundred-win team last year. 
I, I, Martin, here's the thing. Martin Perez started off like gangbusters last year and then <laughs> forgot where the plate was. It just, it was terrible. Because Brian Johnson. You know, oh, I, I don't do that to me. You know not to, oh, you don't know that. Not to I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, I can't I do it. But uh, uh, Ryan Weber was someone that we talked about. I imagine he's going to be one of the guys. If he's not official, he should be. We know sales obviously done. Uh, Colin McHugh looks to be number five, unless they pick up somebody else. Chris Mazza imagine- is going to be in the hunt, too. Chris Mazza has a good live arm. That was a good move from the Mets. I forgot about so, him. So Ma- I forgot about him, too. So Mazza could potentially be in there, too. But, I mean, McHugh is, is, is babying the arm, like he already mentioned, to. I, I think uh, he's going to be a reliever, honestly, McHugh. I hope so. Because if he comes in as a starter, I mean, what, what he's already told everybody is, uh, I'm, I'm babying my arm. If I start to feel a pinch or a, or a little twinge, he's I'm not pitching. Yeah. I'm not pitching. He literally told him, like, I'm, I'm listening to my body. I don't care what you say. If it hurts, I'm not pitching. So, okay, fine. You're on your own regiment, whatever. That's fine. I, can I trust you to be the fifth starter? No, but I, I again, Chris Mazza. I didn't think of him. Good call. Yeah. I, I see it being Erod, Nathan, Perez, Mazza, and then uh, I just see Weber as the fifth. Because Weber had good good signs last year. This will be his second year. He had some time last year. He'd be a good fifth starter. It really is a, a toss up for the fifth. But you know, but who he's up against? Ryan Johnson is trash. Uh, McHugh already seems like he's going to be in and out, so just keep him in the bullpen. It'd be a perfect fit for him. Well, I saw a tweet today uh, from one of the beat writers that that had Erod number one, and then either Avoldi or Martin Perez two and three in some combination, and then Weber was listed fourth, and then Brian Johnson fifth. So. I I mean, obviously that could change over the next several days. Yeah. Colin McHugh had a non-surgical procedure done on his uh, forearm because of a flexor strain. I have yet to see, and there might be one or two examples if you go back a number of years, but I've never seen anyone come back with, with a flexor tendon issue and didn't have Tommy John. Like, it's always inevitable. We knew it was going to happen with Chris Sale. Who who was it? Tanaka. Tanaka had that done. Oh, he had the PRP injections, I think. Because he had a partial tear of the UCL. Okay. I I didn't know that. I know he did have a partial tear of the UCL, so that that was, you know, an example, you know, with PRP injections. But it just doesn't, for the most part, seem to work out. And you also, I'm not saying this is definitely a factor, but McHugh is going to be essentially pitching the rest of the year for free because he was advanced a certain amount of his contract. And then where you, they're only being paid 60 games prorated at this point. Um, He's just not getting paid. He actually would have owed money, but I guess there was a clause where that gets forgiven in, in a situation like this. So I don't know if that'll play a factor with McHugh, but you would think he would want to, you know, play a part here and maybe boost his value for next year because he's only here on a one-year deal. But you know, I just don't know what to what to think about him really at this point. Yeah, once the elbow gets involved in the flexor, you're right. You, 
it's inedible. You're not at the surgery. I don't know why he's even. But if I was a pitcher and I had that option, I'm getting it done on a season like this. It's a lost season. Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't think we had quite gone into virus mode when when he had signed that. But you know, it's it's just it's a mess. My 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 uh, expectations for him are pretty low. Uh, another thing as well, Bloom said that there would definitely be an opener used. So I, he didn't elaborate, you know, if that's every game, if it's maybe just the the um, Weber, Johnson, and maybe Maza starts. I, yeah, I have no idea. But a, a couple of guys to possibly look at um, if, if that's going to happen is uh, Kyle Hart. Last year in nine starts with Double uh, A Portland, he had a 291 ERA. Got called up to Pawtucket, started uh, 15 there, had a 3.86 ERA in AAA. So th- those numbers definitely look, you know, opener worthy, maybe long relief type stuff. You know, he hasn't, um, you know, he didn't pitch in the big leagues last year. So, you know, it's tough to tell. Um, Matt Hall as well, um, 16 games last season. Had a 7.71 ERA, uh, five games, and those might have even been in the bullpen. Actually, those 16 games, five games in 2018, 14.63 ERA. So that was a bloom move, one of the earlier ones. Uh, Hall comes from the Detroit system, so I don't know what Bloom sees there, but obviously there was a little bit of genius with uh, you know some of those Tampa starters or pitchers, I should say. Uh, so yeah, the small moves like Chris Mazza, I'm not against. As you know, Heim Bloom has that eye for for small talent. When we see moves like that, I get a little excited because it's something new. Not a, we're going to buy a big name. We're going to go with the smaller name talent. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. You know, I was happy with the fact that they you know replaced you know Dombrowski with him. I was kind of hoping they would look at Tampa, maybe look at Houston. This was before the you know, the bombshell uh, athletic reports came out. But, uh, yeah, and maybe even the Dodgers organization. I mean, those are three teams that just seem to have it figured out and have developed. I thought the guy from the Dodgers was definitely a lot from the GM. I forget his name. Oh, Friedman. Andrew yeah. Friedman. See, I I mean, there has to be an allure with, you know, being the GM or president of baseball ops for the Red Sox. Like, there's this romantic allure about it. But if you look at what Friedman's done, with the Dodgers, that system has a very balanced payroll right now with some spending flexibility. They've got some talented prospects coming up. I think um, Walker Bueller is going to be an absolute stud for the next decade. So, I mean, it took a lot of work to get that team to that point. So, it, to me, it was like, you know, does he really want to walk away from that when it's like at its peak right now and they can really do some damage? So, you know, I wasn't shocked when he ended up signing, you know, his extension. But um, but nonetheless, you know, I'm glad, you know, Bloom ended up being the, the candidate. Hard to believe Bloom was the runner-up to Brody Van Wagenen in the Mets organization, oh, who had no baseball experience whatsoever other than the fact he was an agent. You know, never an executive. I'm happy they dodged that bullet. Yeah, Bueller, you know it's funny you brought him up earlier too. Bueller was an interesting situation because he was uh, 
he was an injury recovery story. Most people forgot about that, but he uh, he ended up making a major comeback because he was injured for the longest time. He ended up having shoulder surgery, I believe, and then he ended up throwing harder after surgery, which was weird because usually most people don't throw harder after it. He ended up getting better after surgery. Yeah, he's a rare breed. Yeah, he's I, a machine. And and he was not on the draft radar after he got hurt, so they they saw something to him that nobody else did. Yep. He's a kid, too. He's like 24, 25, something like yeah. that. Yeah. He's, he's done. I wasn't familiar with uh, his injury history. I mean, he kind of rose up in the 2018 season, and a lot of Red Sox fans forget he was the starting pitcher for the Dodgers in that epic 18-inning, you know, game three where Evaldi, you know, also was a hero. So, um, you know, pitched very well, you know, in, in a big game, and, you know, the Red Sox – came back to uh send it in extra innings but um but yeah i if he can stay healthy he's certainly uh you know gonna be a stud uh mm-hmm. any other uh pitching uh we're gonna get to lucroy in a minute but is there anything i uh left out as far as the pitching went you covered a lot i mean it's gonna be interesting because it's, it's a lot of small name players and it's going to be a side in the watch like we said because a lot of guys would be in a minor league roster going into the year and there's gonna be a lot of opportunity and it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing but it's- absolutely so charlie uh what do you make of uh lucroy being added up into the uh player pool right now for the red sox i guess that stands at 48 at the moment so he'll be coming into camp and he'll be competing against uh, Kevin Ploiecki. And I'm going to boldly assume <laughs> Christian Vasquez has nothing to worry about. So how do you yeah. see him fitting in? So, so here, here's the thing. Like I, I, I'm glad you brought up Luke Roy. And the fun thing about Luke Roy is when I think of him, I think of uh, uh, Grandpa Ross when he was uh, a member of the Sox <laughs> last year. Th- this is, this is what it was back. Cause David Ross actually, when he came to Boston in 2013, uh, or sorry, 2018, um, no, no, 2013, sorry. When he came to the Red Sox, that was his second stint. He actually came the year after the Red Sox won the World Series, and he didn't do anything. Like, he had, like, maybe one hit, something, like, menial. And then he left, and then he came back on, like, a, I'm going to serve as the backup, but not really just the backup role. So he was going to be a mentor, a leader in the clubhouse, and kind of really get that role a little bit of meaning last year we had let me see one two three four five we had eight guys hit almost 20 home runs or more so we had six or 20 or more uh michael chavis and then mitch moreland were the only guys that didn't crack the 20 number you had christian vasquez who's going to be your starting catcher this year with 23 you had bradley with 21 Betts 29 he's gone uh jd martinez 36 bogey with 33 devers with 32 I'm not expecting Jonathan Lucroy to come in and do crazy work. But what I am expecting him to do is become a great leader. When David Ross came to Boston, he hit 216, hit four homers, 10 RBIs, a stolen base, got a couple of runs. We don't know what he's going to do this year. But the year prior to joining the new team to be that leader, uh, their numbers are very, very similar. So I'm hoping that Lucroy can do – uh, what David Ross was able to do back in 2013. And yes, it's just an abridged season. Who knows what's going to happen? I personally would rather have Luke Roy 
than Plawicki on my team. Plawicki is a hard round ball to short. That's all he is. And uh, going back to Chavez and Moreland, they were both hurt, too, don't forget. So they never really did a fair shot at 20 home runs last year. I was there. So so Terry already knows this. I, I actually was there when uh, Michael Chavis hit his first career home run. So I will forever be immortalized in That's awesome. Red Sox video history. Yeah, I can Google. <laughs> yeah, I can Google that home run. I see myself. Yeah, you're right <laughs> behind home plate. Awesome. Yeah. W- with Lucroy here, I'll, I'll have a Chavis comment in a second, but – Basically, I'm just looking for a guy who can handle the pitching staff similar to how Leon did. We knew Leon wouldn't have a good bat for the most part. He had like one nice, you know, power streak per year where, you know, he'd have a good week or two and 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 could mash, you know, if he could barrel up the ball. But uh, but Leon just it seemed like certain guys in the pitching staff were just better. With him catching, you know, Rick Porcello was a good one. David Price in 2018 started the year with Vasquez, wasn't pitching great, switched to Leon, pitched fairly well down the stretch. And, you know, if Lucroy ends up being that guy that can maybe work with Ryan Weber really well, you know, then I'm all for it, and that'll be good enough for me. And if there's, you know, production with the bat, that's a big bonus. In 2018, Lucroy played 126 games with the uh, Oakland A's, who were, I think, a 97-win team that year. And he was handling a pitching staff that, on paper, didn't look very sexy. You know, uh, Edwin Jackson was one of them. Um, a lot of openers, too. Yeah, I wished I would have looked up their rotation because uh, a lot of their names uh, escape me right now. But it, it was basically a rotation with a bunch of number four guys at best because Manaya went on the DL shortly after pitching that no-hitter against the Red Sox with a shoulder issue. And, and you know, so that, that could be, you know, a little bit of an indication that maybe Luke Roy does work well, but... I haven't seen a lot from Ploiecki, so I can't really make you know any type of judgments there. But if he can have that same effect, then you know I I hope he wins the job. So I'm just looking for some of you know that Sandy Leone type stability when it when it comes to game calling because he was phenomenal. Yeah, and everybody knows those for Vasquez lacks is the defensive side of calling a game. Wait, say that again. Uh, you know that that's where a lot of that's for that's Vasquez's down point is calling a game. Eighteen, oh. Price switched oh. them out. Sale wouldn't pitch to him. You know, Sale was healthy and Price was here. For Sale was here. Half your pitching staff won't pitch to him. So. <laughs> exactly, and Sale is probably. You know, I know he's finicky in the second half of the season, and you know he's dealing with Tommy John right now. But when he's healthy. He's one of the most talented pitchers of his era. So when when he won't pitch to Christian Vasquez, that's pretty telling. Right. Right. And that guy, he's like you said, he's a lot trick when he's tall. Right. So, but Lucky did deal with Syndergaard, uh, Mats, the Drum, Harvey, Wheeler, the best pitching staff to never win anything. Oh, true. A lot of people 
Yeah, I forgot he was with the Mets. He just came from Cleveland, but yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, that was a that was a pitching rotation with the Mets that you thought could be World Series caliber, and they just completely, you know, underachieved every year. Yeah, absolutely. And then they had a dumpster fire situation with uh, um, what's his name there from the Astros, Beltran, and. Just it seems like that organization is just a huge dumpster fire. Like they should literally burn their stadium down and then rebuild. Like I think I think that needs to be part of the you know their rebuild process to finally get things going. Because I don't think Van Wagenen is the guy who's going to turn that organization around. That Luis Rojas, I, I've read nothing but good things about him. You know he got hired after they uh, awkwardly got rid of Beltran. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I don't hate the Mets, you know, I, I wish they were the best team in New York, you know, cause so that would, you know, you know, kill the Yankees, but, but yeah. So anyway, real quick, just on Chavis, like, what is he? I like him. I like his energy. He's got a very good positive vibe. He's always goofing off, you know, on social media. I like that. I think that's good for the team. And but it just seems like he could be Chris Davis on the Orioles 2.0 and just completely have a have a dead dud season. Yeah, with millions of strikeouts, he could be Chris Davis on the A's and hit for about 250 and mash 40 bombs a year. I could see that, and I think his ceiling is probably a Kevin Euclid type guy. And that might be a reach right now, but I, I think that that probably is his ceiling. So, like, what is he to you guys? I think he, you know, we won't know until another two seasons as to what the season is. But I, I think we can't really judge him. That we had such a small sample last year, and he was really good. He was healthy. So I need to see more of him. But I'm excited to watch him, and I think he's just replacement for Pedroia now. That's all I think. You don't think that Peraza kid from uh, Cincinnati will? Oh, Terry, stop it. No <laughs> I'm just Absolutely saying. Not. Now, I'm, I'm a little biased because I did get to see him play. I'll admit I was a little poor. I, I was kind of jumping on the MC bandwagon um, because when he came and he hit so hard, so well, so quickly, it was it was like, Dustin who? We don't need you anymore. Just retire. Hang up the cleats. Don't worry. We got a guy who can field and, you know, do what you can't do, which is hit the ball and stay healthy. Um, so stay healthy. Like, thought, that is, uh... that's, the, that's the big deal. But then we kind of saw a little bit of regression. We saw this, like, 330, 340 batting average drop to 250. So you don't drop to 250 by hitting 250. You drop to 250 because you're hitting 200. Right. Um, so – there was a major bit of regression there. Um, but you know what? Freshman's, freshman year, this is your first shot at the show. There's sometimes sophomore slump. Who knows if he gets a little bit better. There have been there have been players out there that people have lauded as superstars. Aaron Judge was one of them, but he was during the, you know, potential their cameras in center field issue year. Um, and he didn't really do diddly squat year two it was a fraction of of his campaign so if if michael chavis does what he does um in 20 you know in 2021 what he did in 2019 
I will take that as as a bit of a, a, a growing year because I'm not expecting him to hit more than maybe six, seven home runs this year if we're lucky, you know. So um, I, I can't count him out. I I really hope he doesn't just become a, a Kevin Euclid type journeyman. Uh, I especially hope he doesn't hold the bat the way he does because that was just sinful. Um, I, I'd like to say that he's going to buck the trend and be. I'll I'll do this. I'll say this, Terry. He'll be better than Euclid, maybe not as good as Pedroia, just to make you happy. Well, even with Pedroia's bad four years on healthy, he's still a career three hundred hitter. Yeah, you know that's hard to do. And if he wasn't hurt, I think if you don't back before his injuries, he was career like three twenty. So that's that's hard. I I don't think we can really count this year against him. I think it has to be in two years. This this sissy games, remember sissy games. So he's gonna play maybe fifty two of them, fifty. So it, it's hard to judge these numbers off of off of what he could be. He would be really good, right? He'd have a good fifty games and be a a four eighty hitter, or he'd be he didn't struggle, be a two hundred hitter in a one sissy game year, but only that like one forty, one fifty. So this year could hurt him or help him because of the lack of games. Yeah. Or go ahead, Charlie. Oh no, no, I'm just agreeing. I say good point. Yeah. See, last season he didn't come up right away because they were worried about his his you know poor defense on the corners. They thought he just needed more reps and you know in Pawtucket, and you know then they would call him up. And the day before he got called up, they were still saying he wasn't ready, but then. Nunez and Holt went on the DL like a day apart. And then Pedroia, that whole experiment had failed, you know, last year. And then they had no choice but to call him up. And then they throw him at second where he had never really played and was more than adequate. And I think he could be potentially a corner outfielder if they need to, you know, especially left field. I mean, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me to to see some some reps out there, if not during the regular season, maybe next spring training. But his versatility definitely surprised me, and I'm rooting for him. Like I said, I, I like him. Um, last, last. So here, here's the oh, thing, though. When, when we look at what Dustin Pedroia did, if we look into or take into account the last, you know, three years, because the last two years, he played nine games. He had three hits, and he had 34 at-bats. He hit under 100. That's terrible. He had seven homers, 63 RBIs, 122 hits in 114 games. Michael Chavis played 95 games, some of which did not even start. He was just pinch-hitting. He had 18 home runs, more than twice that. And almost the same number of RBIs, 58, as opposed to 62. He didn't walk as much. He struck out a heck of a lot more. But, I mean, the bat is there. Can the fielding get better? I think it can. I think so. Give, give him time. Let him learn the position more. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Last give him a chance. topic before we wrap. Um Here's a question, and I, I posed this on Twitter. Not a lot of people really jumped on it. Uh, you know, I don't think people are really in the swing of things uh, just yet anyway. But here's a question for you guys. If Ron Renicki somehow gets this team 
into the playoffs, even if it's just the wild card. And because I'm certainly not expecting them to. I mean, on paper, this isn't, you know, a playoff team. But if it happens, if there's some magic with Renicky, with maybe some magic from Bloom sprinkled in, does he get a contract extension for next season and maybe the season after? Because he's this is the only year of his deal. So do Who you ex- Renicky? Yeah, Renicky. So do you extend him if we get into the playoffs? Uh, I'll go first. So uh, we actually have a movement on our podcast Uh-oh. called the MC. Oh, here we, it believe, comes. we believe Mookie, Cora, and Lester are all coming back. <laughs> oh, Jesus. We sign a blockbuster deal. Cora's already talking about he can't wait to be a manager again. And Lester wants to play for Boston again. So, And Renegade already has come out and said he doesn't have plans of long-term managing in the league. So I think Renegade's a one-year deal. I wouldn't count him out of anything because in 60 games, anything could happen. This team didn't mess around and go 48 and 12. And they also go 12 and 48 real fast. You don't know what you're going to get. But I, I think we're going to see Cora and Fenway managing the Red Sox 2021 or 2022. We covered this last week, and uh, I think all but there's five of us that, that co host this show. And um, four out of the five are pretty adamant that Cora won't be back. And if you listen right. to Bloom's statements, he throws a lot of cold water on it and and says he stands by the decision to move on from him. And I just I just think if you bring Cora back, every misdemeanor offense that we might get caught up in, some stupid minor bullshit is going to get blown up into a felony and you know i don't think bloom wants to put him in a position put himself in a position to get suspended like lunau did and i think lunau was definitely with the astros dirtier than you know what he admitted to but um i just it's a it's an extreme long shot that cora comes back i think if they don't stick with renicky It'll be Matt Quatrero, the uh, Tampa Bay's bench coach. Okay, I do think he's going to Tampa. He's going to do that pipeline in Tampa. Possibly, yeah. I don't know who else would be available. I don't think he would go after a Buck Showalter type guy or you know anyone no, like no, that. No, he won't fit. He won't fit in. Yeah, yeah, but I I just think it's it's a long shot right now for Cora. Do you think you just see a Veritek coming in the manage in two years? Well, that's the, you know, the thing that people clamor for. And I'd kind of like to see him do a full season as, as like a bench coach type thing before he does get elevated, you know, to that role. But I was at the winter weekend when Cora quit. And Veritek was the biggest talk of the whole weekend. And they were swearing he was the next coach. He was the next coach. So I just, you know, I've always, I, I never thought of him as a coach, honestly. Well, he's but been would, in the dugout. Like a bench coach, kind of like Cora did. Yeah, he's some type of consultant right now, but you you did see him, if you were looking for him, in the dugout during games in uniform last season. So it just, it's just depends on Bloom. You know, every GM or whatever his title is, they all have fancy titles nowadays, but all of them guys have one manager, two tops to – to kind of make their career, you know, with their franchise and, you know, and then usually they get fired, you know? So 
Um, you know, Dombrowski had his too. Uh, Epstein, well, Epstein had Francona the whole time, but, um, you know, Sherrington had two managers under him. And so it just, it just depends, you know, on Bloom, I guess. I'll also say this though. I hate seeing teams get too heavy with the analytics and sabermetrics. I kind of like the idea that the manager calls the shots. Ideally, they would be open to the, um, you know, the analytics and everything. But I hate it when the front office is the be all and end all about that. I kind of liked the fact that Cora, you know, you could tell he was the manager of the team, and you know, Joe Girardi, you know, was throughout his Yankees tenure and, and Francona always has been. So, you know, I hope that we do, you know, we do have a manager that, that at least carries the most influence, but going back to my original question though, I think it would be amazing if the Red Sox did get into the playoffs. And if, you know, if Renicky, if they thrive off of Renicky. I wouldn't mind seeing him come into it for. I'm a, I'm a Ron Renegade guy. I was big on him in Milwaukee in 07 when they had Ben Sheets and CeCe and, and all of them. I mean, that was exciting to watch. Yeah. And I mean, look at the Braves with Brian Snitker. He was an interim guy to finish out the season after Freddie Gonzalez got fired. And ever since being the manager, I think he's had two full seasons. And they've gotten into the playoffs both times. And they had that epic meltdown in game five in the first inning against the Cardinals. But, I mean, they were looking like they could possibly be in the NLCS last year. So, And he's an older guy like Renicky as well. So, you know, I like seeing stories like that. And, you know, go back to Lavello. I mean, he was the bench coach of the Red Sox. And then John Farrell went on that cancer leave. The Red Sox were the best team in baseball in September, uh, excuse me, August and September of that year. And, you know, unfortunately, the damage was done before that. And, you know, we weren't a playoff team. But that team was so fun to watch under, under Lavello. I mean, Jackie Bradley went on an absolute tear you know, with Lavelle never went back to the minors after that either. Uh, Joe oh. Kelly was eight. zero as a starter that, that final stretch of the year uh, with Blake Swihart catching him, no less, you know? So I just, if the team responds, I just, I'm totally good with, with Renicky, you know, being the guy, but I have no idea what the front office, you know, is thinking right now. You never know in baseball. Like, you go back to the statistics and the numbers, you never know. And I think the, the coach you're looking for, the shoot-from-the-hip coach, like the Cora, there's not a lot of them left anymore. And I think Renegade is one of the last of the dying breeds. You know, even the guy in L.A., Roberts, he was all numbers. And yeah. he got the game one, and Eduardo Nunes did that home run. He went lefty versus righty. He went curveball against this guy. He wasn't going to hit him, and, and they beat him. And you can't, you can't go – the game is played by man. You have to be called by man. That's why I don't agree with these robotic umpires. I don't agree with statistics. Let the pitcher face the hitter. Let the and go on your gut. It's a game. It's a game of feeling. You have to go by feeling. Renicky will end up being back. I think next year, no matter what. I don't think the Red Sox are are gonna can a guy after not even getting a full opportunity, like a real chance to prove himself. 60 games, you can't even, that's not even half the season. you got to yep. give this guy a full year, 
give him a full squad uh, because he's also not he, he also has I mean lol to the rotation and he's expected to get like 30 wins out of that like give me a break if this was a full season he'd be lucky to get 50 maybe 54 wins this this it was not a, a 60 win team even in a, in a full season that just wasn't gonna happen um, so I think you got to give him 2021 maybe 2022 and then you just kind of play it by ear from there because yes he is one of the last of a dying breed manager uh, of, of that era because now you have these these new generation guys you have the Joe Girardis that are coming in you have the the Gabe Kaplers that I'm still trying to understand how he's managing but he's got a job you have um, <laughs> you, you know for the longest time you had Tony Larusa, Bobby Cox, Dusty Baker, uh, you, you know, um, uh, oh God, the guy from the Nationals, what's his name? Uh, Davey Johnson. Like all of these guys that were 60, 70, 80 years old that were around. Dusty Baker's back in the loop, man. He's in Houston. You know, who, who, who's this? Dusty Baker. Baker ba- Baker's back, right? But he's been around for a lot. I mean, Baker's been in San Francisco. He's been in Chicago. He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't care. He loves baseball. Like, he's, he's wonderful like that. But here's the thing. Remember when they were the names and the, the young – I mean, some of the younger managers were like the Red Sox manager. He had like Joe Kerrigan after Jimmy Williams. Like, he was in his 50s. He's 30 years younger than some of the older managers. Uh, those were the managers that I remember as a kid. Managers were always 70 years old that were around during the time of Jesus – you know, these guys knew exactly what was coming in baseball. They didn't any cameras or any BS going on. Uh, Renicky, I think, is going to be one of the last ones of that era. Again, because you have a whole new wave coming in. It's going to change. Uh, eventually, Renicky won't be coaching anymore. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have Joe Girardi as the longest tenured manager in baseball. It's going to happen. Something like that. I miss, I miss seeing uh, some of those managers go off. Like, I would pay good money to see Bobby Cox go off one more time in my life because that man was, I mean, you just, he was awesome. He, he was Atlanta baseball. I agree. And Lou Pinella, another one oh, who would go off. Lou. Sweet Lou. You mentioned uh, Dave Roberts Moses and he is, was a perfect example of a guy who's a manager and name only because the front office, you know, is, is too analytical and you know, that's why so, Madeline's not there anymore. Who's not there? Uh, Madeline. Oh, oh, Madeline. He's in Miami. He was in LA before him, and they threw him out because he wanted to play by their system. He went on his gut. He wanted to manage his style. Yeah, he wanted a new contract, and he said he didn't want to be a coach in a lame duck year, so he said, "I'm out." You don't even deal. Yeah, he you wanted know, to coach his team. I know the Astros, you know, obviously cheated that season and there was evidence of it in the World Series, but you know, I think the Dodgers lost the World Series in game 7 when they went with Darvish and not uh, Alex Wood who took a no-hitter into the 7th inning of uh, game 4. You know, they could have just started Wood for 3 innings knowing that Kershaw was coming in for two or three innings, and then they could have split it up between Morrow and Jansen and maybe won game seven. But the the analytics mindset that they embraced so hardcore, I think, bit them and, you know, potentially cost them a championship. So that's why I hate to see it embraced to that level. And then they did it the following year with the Red Sox. And, and, and Nunez is at that. And other plays in 
and 18, you know, yeah. they just follow it too much. You yeah. gotta, you gotta shoot from the hip. You gotta have that gut feeling how to play, play the game. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you know, that's about all I had. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be surprised by the team this year. I think we're going to, this is going to be a year we see who Hein Bloom really is. I, I'm, I'm interested in all his moves. It's going to be a, a, a there's going to be two things, a really good looking year, a really ugly looking year. But I'm just excited baseball is back finally. I don't know about you guys. Hey, Terry. Yeah. We're going to have baseball in 2020. <laughs> Hopefully. I, you know, if you listen to Dr. Fauci, you know, we're all going to be dead in a couple months, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, hopefully, and and I think the more other sports see baseball kind of treading water and you know staying above the surface, I think that will give them more hope. You know, especially the NFL, and you know they'll kind of get running, and you know America needs their sports. So you know, I, I'd right. hate hate to see the plug get pulled here, and and. You know, it's it's day to day, hour to hour, just watching the news reports and t- listen to the, all the gloom and doom they've been giving us. But um, yeah, so we'll see. Um, you know, and one thing we didn't talk about was the team isn't allowed to reveal who tests positive uh, for it. So that's going to be hard to gauge in uh, you know spring training 2.0. But it's not like we can hide Raphael Devers, you know, if he's gone for a couple weeks. The Yankees can't hide Aaron Judge. So we're kind of going to know. I guess the league can release the overall statistics and say, okay, this number of players tested positive today across the league. So that's something we can watch for. And if that number stays low, there should be baseball. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Great show. Uh, glad we could have you on, Moses. I, I hope our audience Thanks enjoyed it. Up, guys. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. your audience uh, enjoys it as well. So have a good night. Take care, guys. Night. Episode 197, I believe, in the books. I never remember what episode we're on until I go to upload it. But uh, great show nonetheless. Great to be talking baseball. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We could be back in, I don't know, what's today, Thursday? Maybe Sunday or Monday if if, uh, some developments justify it. But uh, certainly uh, no later than uh, the middle of next week. So tune in for that. Have a good 4th of July weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Don't get wasted and drive, you know, any of that stupid shit. Take care.